Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning, Redemption Church. What's up, guys? What's up? So I'm excited. So um, I am am a Texas, not born, but I kind of claim Texas. Uh, for, for everyone that, if you don't know me, I, I was born in Mississippi, grew up in Texas, and then God brought me to Albany, New York. And, and so I've known Byron for a long, long time. Uh, we've had some ups, we've had some downs, we've fought it out. Uh, one, of, one of the best memories is, is like going into the men's restroom, you see all the graffiti on the wall in there. Uh, it, and it kind of like just brings me back to chemistry class in high school and Byron coming up to me and uh, being like, hey, go to the men's bathroom in this wing and go check out the stall. I'm like, all right, why? Because I'm writing a, a poem about poo. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, so what did I do? I went to the stall and sure enough, there's a poem that he ended up writing. And so it just reminds me of like old school Byron and stuff. And hey, I'm excited to be here. I really am honored. And uh, I, uh, if you guys want to give me some shout outs while I'm preaching, it will help me. And uh, just believing for God to do something amazing in your life today. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, if you got your scripture, jump with me to John chapter 18. We got a lot to cover today, so we're going to dive right in. And uh, then we will go from there. John chapter 18. The title of this talk is The War of Grace. And, and uh, what I want to do is I want to kind of give you a little bit of a um, kind of setting the stage for what we're about to read right here. Jesus has just had Passover supper with his disciples, and you have Judas Iscariot who has left uh, Jesus and, and has essentially gone to go betray Jesus by getting the high priest and a band of soldiers. We'll read about that in a second. And, and Jesus ends up at the Passover celebration. The, the supper is talking about how there's going to be a disciple who denies Jesus. And and Peter, uh, who's really going to be the main character of our story today, ends up piping up and says, Jesus, I'm not going to deny you. That's that's not me. I'm not going to do that. We're close. We're homeboys. We're tight like that. Um, I've got your back, right? And, and so what happens is after supper and the high priestly prayer in John 17, they leave and they go and they're singing hymns and they go to the garden of Gethsemane. And, and Jesus is in the garden. And while he's in the garden, uh, Judas Iscariot ends up showing back up with the band of soldiers. Now, one of the things about Jesus in the book of John, in the gospel of John, is he has these seven I am statements. Many of you guys uh, will know about this. Uh, if, if you've studied at all or if you listen to Byron's talks, I'm sure that he's mentioned this before, but he has these seven I am statements. And real quick, I just want to go over them with you. Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. In John 8, verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. In verses chapter 10, verse 7, I am the door of the sheep. In uh, 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. In John eleven twenty five, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. In John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth of the life. And one of my favorites, John chapter 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine. He says, I am the true vine. And so Jesus he is these, he's saying, I encompass all of these seven I am statements. And, and as he's getting done praying, this is where we're going to pick up today. 
So Judas, having produced a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priest and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. And, and so uh, what, a, what a band of soldiers is, is and this, there's kind of a lot of uh, debate about this, is, is it's 600 soldiers. And so some people think, well, maybe there wasn't that many soldiers. Some people say maybe it was 300. We're not entirely sure, but there was a lot of soldiers, okay, that was with Judas Iscariot. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to him, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to him, I am he. I am he. Now we read that, I am he. And and the better translation for that right there is I am. I am. Actually, if you go back into it, it's the exact same language, verbiage that God used whenever he appeared to to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, at the fiery bush. And Moses is like, Lord, Lord, who, who is in front of me? What is your name? And God said to him, I am that I am. And so here's what I want to point out, setting up where we're about to go, okay? So Jesus is in the garden. He's already said, I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am all of this stuff. Seven times, seven times, right? The number of completion. Seven times he said, this is who I am. And here he's about to be let off and be slaughtered and murdered as our savior. All the people, they have no idea what's about to happen. And they come up to him and and, and say, hey, we're looking for Jesus. And Jesus says, I am, I am. He's saying, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God that was and is and is to come. In this moment right here, God reveals his divinity through Jesus Christ. And catch what happens. I love this. This is what happens. He says, I am. And Judas, who betrayed him, was standing there. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. And many theologians said that at that moment, divinity of Jesus was revealed in everyone there ended up falling in reverence of who he was. Now I think what else is interesting is seven is the number of completion, but eight is the number of new beginnings. And here Jesus says his eighth I am statement saying, I'm about to usher in a new covenant, a new covenant, a covenant of grace. And then which we are found in this tension in our lives that I would like to call the war of grace, the war of grace continuing on. So they asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the words that had been spoken of those whom you do, of those whom you gave me. I have lost not one, which isn't that the gospel? Whom do you seek? You seek, we seek Jesus. Well, then let all of these sinners go. Let me go for you. Verse 10, then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So I was asked to preach my best sermon ever. And so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to encompass three sermons into one. And so we did this series called The War of Grace. And if you want to title this particular talk anything, I would call it, Put Your Sword Away. Would you pray with me?
Jesus, we thank you for today. God, I thank you for Redemption Church and for Byron and Ashley and every one of the servant leaders here, God. I just ask that you do amazing things in and through this community, God. Father, as we declare and proclaim your word, I just ask that you are exalted. Father, that we are pointed to you and that your Holy Spirit just comes down in this place and just rests upon us. Father, we thank you. And God, like I always say, I ask that you and your spirit would go forth today and that I would back out of your way. It is in your son's name we pray. And everybody says, amen. amen. Cool. So um, I, I grew up in a charismatic church. Uh, in Mississippi, there's this small church. It had red floors. It was kind of, um, it was old school. I don't know how it's, it's something that you would see like on a horror movie, you know. It's like they walk into a church and everyone's like, Romans 16, 19, none of y'all, okay, that's good if you don't know that song, right? And so um, so I, that's kind of how I grew up. And then coming over here, I've been in, in several churches in uh, the Golden Triangle region, I almost said the Capital region, because that's what we call it up north, but the Golden Triangle region. And and through my whole life, I've gotten these prophetic words. Now, I don't, I don't know your background, your faith background, but growing up in a charismatic church, prophecy was always a big deal. And whenever the prophet would come and visit the church, and maybe, maybe this is you, you would stand there or you would sit there in your chair and you would start repenting of all of your sins, right? Like, Father, I'm so sorry for doing that. I yelled at my mom and God, I did this because you didn't want the prophet to walk by who's supposed to be giving you an encouraging word and be like, you sinner, you're going to go to hell, like, right? You know, that's uh, literally, that's what ran through my mind. And so uh, all these prophets would come into town and I'd repent and sometimes I'd get, get called out. And, and, and every time I got called, called out, these prophetic words about me having a, the gift of an evangelist would come over me. And, and look, I wanted nothing to do with church. I wanted nothing to do with ministry. I wanted, I wanted, I did not want to become a pastor, let alone a senior pastor. If I was going to do ministry, I wanted to be a youth pastor. And one day God gripped my heart at 17 years old. I was in Colorado skiing and, and I was reading Matthew chapter 10, verse 39. It says, those that live their life will lose it. Those that lose their life for my sake will gain it. And that has become my staple verse right there. And whenever I read that, um, it, it, I don't know how else to describe it except for the conviction of the Lord came upon me. And I just sat there and I started just crying and being like, God, what are you, what are you doing? And I heard this still small voice. I want you to go into full-time ministry. I was like, I rebuke you in the name. I can't rebuke you in your name. So, no, I didn't do that. That would be horrible, right? That's blasphemy. So, but I was like, okay. And I went to my youth pastor and I was like, hey man, I feel like God is calling me into ministry. And that's what started all of this. And now fast forward, I ended up becoming a youth pastor at another local church in this area and uh, served there for a few years. And while I was there, uh, there's this, there this guy, any of you guys ever heard of the Master's Commission? Okay, Master's Commission is like this theater drama group that comes, comes around. So they bring in this Master's Commission. There was this guy by the name of Chris Jackson, and we had a great youth service, like everyone's woohoo, jumping and shouting and stuff, and it's loud and pumping. And at the end, Chris comes up to me, and he's like, hey man, we just wanna pray for you before we end up leaving. And I'm like, all right, cool. And, and so he starts praying for me. And as he's praying for me, God really starts speaking to me. And God starts talking to me about planting a church one day. And I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to plant a church. And then Chris gives me this prophetic word. Um, and the prophetic word, and, and this, man, it was so powerful. The prophetic word 
was that you're going to lend uh, or you're going to have the ear of the mayor in your city. And so being a youth pastor, I was like, oh, this is awesome. I'm going to have the, the ear of the mayor of Beaumont, right? Uh, they're going to want to come help us out and partner with us. And it's going to be it's going to be really, really cool. That, like, that's what I was thinking. And at that time, God was really speaking to me about Ezekiel 37, which is the, the uh, valley of dry bones. And as all of this was going on, um, Amy, who was another person praying for me, she turns to me and she's like, you're asking God about the dry bones. And God says that he's going to send your spirit to send his spirit to the dry bones. And so I'm just like a mess at this point. I'm like, oh, God, you know, just uh, I mean, I'm a crier. Don't make fun of me. I'm emotional. All right. Um, and, and so I get done with this word and I'm like, yes, this is awesome. Little did I know that 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 prophetic word right there was going to be the assignment that God had placed on my life whenever I came to Albany. And whenever I came to Albany, I went to Albany, I was engaged, and, and long story short, it didn't work out by the, by the grace of God. I'm married now to an awesome woman. And uh, while, I was in, while I was in Albany, God just started placing this burden to plant a church in Albany. And so we planted, at the time, White Couch Albany. White Couch Albany. And we started in a nightclub very similar to this. Actually, this is like bringing back memories. You walk in and you smell vomit and beer at the same time. And it's like, God, your presence isn't here, you know? Um, and, and so this is, it really does uh, just bring back these memories of how we started as a church. And, and as, as things were going the first year, year and a half, it was tough. It was rough. Uh, as Byron said, it's the least Christian city in America, and that is not an understatement. 2.1% of our population considers themselves Christians. And so um, as, as we're doing this church and we're, we're living and we're, we're trying to do it, God starts to move. God starts to move, and, and, and we move from one building to another building, and then we move from that building back into the other building, and now we've got this 37,000-square-foot building that was leased to us for free, and uh, all we had to do was pay the utilities, and it was awesome. And we were like, woohoo! like, God, you're awesome. And then one day, the Times, uh, Times Union, our local newspaper, ends up writing a story about us, about like uh, Christianity on Pearl Street, which is our Crockett Street, uh, Christianity on Pearl Street, and it was an awesome article, like absolutely awesome. And um, two days later, or maybe it was the next day, I get a call from a restricted number, and I answered it, and it was, hey, is this Michael Moore? I'm like, yes, it is. Hey, uh, this is Chief such and such with the, the Department of Planning and Zoning. We're giving you guys a cease and desist order because you did not file the proper paperwork. And I'm like, What? Like, no, you did not file the proper paperwork. Come down to my office. And so this is at Friday at like 3 o'clock. And so I go down to the office, and I'm, and, and I'm like, hey, what do I need to do? He's like, fill out this paperwork. We're going to try to expedite it, but you're not going to be able to have church this Sunday. And if you do, we're going to end up fining you. And I'm like, okay, so what do we do? And, and so uh, we got on Twitter, and uh, this is before Instagram was big. Like, we were tweeting everyone and Facebooking everyone, and, like, we don't know where we're going to have church. And another church, a Lind, um, kind of this missions uh, uh, room that they had for us. And so we ended up meeting there. And then we entered into six- to eight-week process of city church, or at the time, white couch, versus the, the city. And, and, and so what happened was, uh, and this was one of the best, but probably one of the worst seasons in ministry that I had gone through, is uh, I would wake up and there would be another article done. There was one literally, the mayor versus the church. 
And the, the, the newspaper ended up following around to the, the mayor. He was at a game, like a sporting event game, and they're trying to get him to talk about the tension between us and the church. And he kept saying, well, they just didn't file proper paperwork. But we're hearing, and it's coming down through the, the pipeline that really the mayor doesn't want us there, and that's starting to get us out. And then news, news stations got involved. And so this was like for two, maybe three weeks, this went on. And I got exhausted. And what we did as a church is we paid thousands and thousands of dollars for architects to come in and to get our fire permits. And to, uh, Now, this is a building that had just closed down like a few months ago. And so it had all, everything was still good, right? And, and so this went on and on and on and on and on. And long story short, I just got to this place in my life where I was burnt out. I got to this place in my life where I said, God, I can't do this anymore. And we walked away from Jillian's. And there is this tension between, and Jillian's is the name of the, the bar, there was this tension between city church and the city for a long time. And I was just like, God, are you, are you serious? And, and so if you've called me to pastor, if you've called me to be an evangelist to this city, to reach this city that is so dry what is going on? And I think one of the things that I didn't realize going into church planning is that any time God gives you an assignment, there's going to be opposition. Any time God gives you an assignment, there's going to be opposition in your life. And a lot of times God uses the opposition and the progress in your life to give you the platform for what he's setting you up for. And I think some of you guys need to be reminded. See, you look at Jesus's life right here in John 18, right? He had an assignment from God. He was, he was to be the savior of the world. And what happened? Everywhere Jesus went, the religious folks had some problems with Jesus. And the religious people piped up and were like, you're not the Messiah. No one needs to talk to you. No one needs to listen to you. Do you know that in John chapter 9, they actually make a rule that if anyone possess, uh, says that Jesus is the Messiah, that they are not allowed for temple worship? You want to talk about the religious folks making some rules? Just throwing that out there. And, and so Jesus has this assignment, but Jesus and his divinity, he turns to, to Peter, right? He turns to Peter, and this is Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, and you know this if you've ever grown up in church, and he says to Peter, hey, Peter, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my church. And so he tells this to Peter, and so Peter gets this assignment from Jesus and essentially, Jesus is like, hey, you're going to be the backbone that I'm going to end up building this entire movement on. And so Peter's like, all right. And so Peter and Jesus, they have this strong, strong, strong relationship with one another. And, and what happens is, is you see that their affection for one another and their love for one another. And, and Peter saying, no, man, I've, I've, got your, I've got your back. It ends up getting in the way a little bit. See, I want to jump back, and this won't be on the screen. I want to jump back just a, just a little bit because Peter, at the Passover celebration, this is what Jesus says. This is John chapter 13, verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow afterward. And Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for yours. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. 
And one of the Gospels even says that Jesus and Peter, like Peter starts to argue with Jesus, which I don't recommend. But don't we do that in our lives? Like, hey, I want you to, I want you to do this. I want you to go plant a church. I don't want to go plant a church. You talking to that guy over there? Hey, I want you to go and talk to your coworker about the grace that I've given you. I don't want to do that. No, I might get fired, you know. Or, hey, I, w- I want you to go give all your money to the poor and to the homeless and sell everything that you have. I'm using some extreme examples, right? How about this? I want you to love your wife the way you're supposed to love your wife. God, I, I just don't know. And then, then Jesus is like, hey, I want to take you somewhere. All right, Jesus, I got your back. I got you. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to stand up for you. How many times have you guys said that? You don't, don't, don't raise your hands, but rhetorically speaking. Sometimes I say that at my church and people, I'm like, how many of y'all are dealing with this? I'm like, no, don't raise your hand, please. Like, um, but, but how many times do we end up saying that to ourselves that, that God, I'm never going to do this again. God, I'm going to pursue you. God, I'm going to read my Bible 37 minutes and 16 seconds each day, and I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray two hours and, and, and 40 minutes because I'm going to give 10% of my life to prayer, right? And we, we say all this stuff, and we get caught in, in this trap of the war of grace in our lives. And what happens is the things that we ultimately try to do that should be something that that Uh, moves our faith ends up becoming the very thing that binds us down and then it makes us religious it makes us weak because we try doing it in our own strength and this is this is what you see right here is you see uh peter he's saying hey i'm not going to deny you i i got your back homeboy i got it we tight like i got it i'm not going to deny you and jesus is like yeah you are three times tonight tonight three times God, I'm going to go out and going to have a good time and party and stuff, but I'm not going to sin. Yeah, you are. Three times tonight. You know, you know what you're going to do. And this, so this is what happens. And then you see Jesus in the garden. And Judas Iscariot comes up and betrays him. Peter takes out his sword, cuts off a soldier's ear. Jesus heals the soldier. And then they lead this Savior, this Messiah, to the courts. They lead Him to the courts and His disciples watch their best friend who Peter just said a few hours ago, I've got your back. They watch Him being walked away like a lamb that is about to be slaughtered. Continuing on, jump with me down to verse 15 in John chapter 18. Simon Peter followed Jesus And so did another disciple. Since the disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood on the outside of the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming themselves. So here, Peter, he follows Jesus at a distance. And, and it really comes down to, are you really going to stick up for Jesus the way that you said, Peter? And what happens is he walks out and he's hanging out in the courtyard 
Jesus is inside with all the scribes and the Pharisees. This girl walks up to him. Aren't you one of his disciples? Nah, you got the wrong guy. You got, like, let me go back to my fire. Let me go back to my latte. Let me go back to doing what I'm doing. Let me go back to me over here. Continuing on, the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And Jesus answered to him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. And I have said nothing in secret. So why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. I love how Jesus, uh, whenever people ask him questions, he just kind of re-asks the question in another way, right? Jesus just has a way of doing that. But he's saying, um, my testament is true. Why are you asking me whenever you've got all these people around here that you can go ask, which possibly some of the people there had set in Jesus's teachings. Continuing on verse 22. And when he said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, is this how you answer the high priest? And I love that because Jesus had to be struck right there on his right cheek by a high priest to, to, to fulfill the prophecy in Malachi chapter 5, verse 1. And, and so you see that this is taking place. And meanwhile, Peter's on the outside, and Jesus answered to him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Why do you strike me? Now, I said that um, before that the religious folks made rules against people who followed Jesus. They made rules against people who follow Jesus. And, and you see this just for reference point. It's John chapter 9, verse 22. That the religious people say, no one can say that he is the Messiah and come in here and worship. I think sometimes we slip into the religious gap right there. I think sometimes what we do is we say, ah, you really can't come to church because you got issues over here. Ah, you really can't, ah, I don't know, you can't come to our group because, you know, you're just, like, got your problems, you talk too much, why don't you just shut up, you know, like, please, like, no, we don't want you. Let me just say this, and I'm speaking to myself too, why do we place a yoke of slavery on somebody else whenever God has set us free from that? Why do, we, why do we place our convictions, our personal convictions on somebody else and then we call it the law of God? No, that's not the law of God. That's God and the Holy Spirit trying to sanctify you. Quit trying to do what he's doing in you and, and, and judging somebody else for that. That's where we become like the religious folks. That's where we become like the Pharisees. And more times than not, I know for myself, I catch myself being very Pharisaical and being like, God, you're working in this with me and that person over there, they have a mouth like a sailor. God... Like, and Jesus is like, Michael, shut up. You used to have a mouth like a sailor too, and sometimes you still do. Look, this is church. I like to be honest if that's okay, all right? So, so here's, here's what I'm saying, man. Let's, let's, not, let's not place our convictions on other people. We need to call people to a higher standard, but we do that out of a place of love, not out of a place of condemnation. We do that out of a place of acceptance and saying, I'm with you and I am for you and I've got your back, not by kicking them on the ground. And far too often the church has kicked the wounded on the ground and we leave them there for the enemy to come in and to destroy them and to devour them like dogs. And that is exactly what Satan wants to do. 
It is our job as the body of Christ to rally around the wounded and to pick them up and to encourage them and to love them and to call them to a higher standard, but to do it from a place of love, to do it from a place of relationship. So continuing on, verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, and they said to him, you are also not one of the disciples, are you? And he denied it. No, I'm not a disciple. How many times do I have to tell you people I'm not a disciple? Continuing on, and one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once the rooster crowed. Hey, Peter, three times you're going to deny me. Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. One time, two times, three times. The rooster crows. Could you imagine what's going through Peter's heart at that moment? Could you imagine that he's, he's sitting there no, I'm not, his, I'm not his disciple. I'm not his follower. And then he hears that, the guilt that settles in right there. Can you imagine? And, and I just want to point this out. Uh, Peter is still in the temple court and Jesus is still on the inside or Jesus is being led away, right? And so could you just imagine Peter denying him and then look at his friend and ultimately his Savior in chains being drugged away? Jesus just looking back. I told you, told you so. Quit trying to do it in your own strength. See, here's, here's something that I want to say, and I, I want to just have a real heart-to-heart right now, all right? And this is, this is the pastor side of me coming out and love you guys. Seriously love everything that redemption stands for and what you guys are doing, but hear me out right here. How often do we allow our sin to entangle us? How often do we allow our sin to entangle us and we hide it? Let me ask you this. Who are we in this story? We're not Jesus. And if you are, I don't want you to go and die and be my Savior. Sorry. But how often, how often are we like Peter and we deny Christ because we think that we're a match for our sin? How often do we say, God, I got this right here. Why don't you stay over there and let me do my thing? I got my porn addiction. I got my broken marriage. I'm going to fix this. Are you now? Please, tell me how you're going to fix this. Or, or, or how often do we say, God, I'm just going to dab a little bit in the sin over here because it feels good, it makes me happy, it takes away the pain, it gets me through the night if I can just open up the bottle and just have a shot or two or a pill that no one has to know about. Matt Chandler, who I absolutely love, the pastor of the Village Church in, in Dallas, um, he gives this analogy about sin, and he says that sin is like a cub, like a, a you know, lion and a cub, that, that sin is like a cub. You see the cub, and it's stranded, and you take the cub, and you bring it into the house, and, and you bring it into the house of the kids and the family. They start playing with the cub, and it's so cute with the cub, but what happens is that cub starts to grow up, and it starts to get a little bit bigger, and you keep trying to feed it you know, dog food, but eventually the dog food doesn't satisfy 
satisfy the cub. And that cub has eventually turned into a lion. And then one day that lion ends up tasting your blood because you ended up cutting yourself. And instead of you taking that lion out and putting a 12 gauge, because I can say this because we're in Texas, and shooting it, I can't say that in New York, but instead of like taking uh, uh, the lion out and, and popping that thing and killing it, what we do is we leave it in our house and we treat it like it's a pet until the lion tastes your blood and then he attacks and he kills your whole family. That's how sin is. We keep it in our house. We guard it. We protect it. We don't expose it out in the open. And what it does is it destroys our families. It destroys our families. And all Jesus is saying is he's saying, hey, I've already paid the price. I want you to expose your sin. I want you to get it out. I want you to go to people and to talk about it. And you know what? There's going to be a community of believers that rallies around you and they're going to encourage you and they're going to walk with you and they're going to love you and they're going to support you. But what do we do? We're like, Peter, God, I got this. God, I can take care of this. I'm, I'm your defender. I've got your back. I can take care of my addictions. I can take care of my marriage. I can take care of my finances. Jesus, I got this. We are no match for our sin. And the moment that we think that we are a match for our sin is the moment that we miss the grace that was paid on that cross for us. This is the war of grace. You need to stop moving from striving and start moving to a place of resting. You need to stop moving from a strive mode and go to a place of yielding to the Holy Spirit and yielding to the grace of God and yielding to the submission of God and believing that he who is in you is greater than he that is in this world. Church, here's what I'm saying. Jesus paid the price. Leave the sin on the cross and let him take care of it. Quit trying to do it. Quit trying to fix your own problems because you can't. You can't. And I've been at that place where I've tried fixing stuff. And you know what I do? I screw it up even more. And if you were honest with yourself, you do too. You do too. Something I want to point out as I'm wrapping up. This is like those preacher closings. This is my first closing, all right? I get made fun of that all the time. One, one day I was like, hey man, you, you did a great job. He's like, well, because I actually did a closing. I was talking to one of the guys who was preaching at our church. I'm like, what do you mean by that? He's like, well, whenever you close, you add an extra 15 minutes because you do exactly what I'm doing right now. I just start rambling and stuff. So I'm going to shut up and get back to this. John chapter 13, Peter says to Jesus, I'm not going to deny you. John chapter 18, verse 5, Jesus shows his divinity by saying, I am that I am. And everyone ends up falling out under the power of God. Do you realize just a few verses later, after the miraculous happened in the garden, Peter denies Jesus. Here's what I'm saying about this. The miraculous is awesome. Signs and wonders are amazing. But if we do not have the grace and the substance of our faith that is found in the cross, then we are missing it all. Far too often I see people chasing after the creation instead of chasing after the creator. Instead of chasing after the cross and the blood that was poured out for our sins. Do you know the last thing that Jesus said to Peter before he died? 
The very last thing Jesus said before He went to the cross, before He had thorns placed on His head, before He had spikes driven through His hands and His feet, and before He cried out, it is finished. The very last thing that Jesus said to Peter, and I believe this is what Jesus is saying to you today about your issues and about your sin and about your life and about your striving. The very last thing Jesus said to Peter, hey, Peter, put your sword away. Quit trying to do it. Quit trying to think that you've got it. Quit fighting. The fight is mine. And I'm about to destroy the gates of hell and the power of sin and the power of death on that cross. Peter, put your sword away. So a few years ago, We have this battle with the city. Got all these prophetic words. Michael, you're going to be an evangelist. Michael, you're going to reach this city. And I get in strive mode. And I start trying to do it in my own strength. And I get tired. I get tired doing the work of the Lord from my own strength. And we become this nomadic church. And if you ever want to hear the story of our church, you can. there's a documentary. It's called Salt and Light on YouTube. It's about 20 minutes. It's crazy what we went through the first five years of our church. The first five years of our church, we moved 11 different times. The first five years of our church, we saw turnover left and right and left and right and left and right. People would come in and we'd have to move because of an issue. And then we'd go to a hotel and then we lost everyone. And then I'm sitting there and I'm like, God, where are you in the middle of all this? And I didn't realize that he was, he was dealing with me and sanctifying me and getting me ready for what he was about to do. And finally, whenever I had given up, I had exhausted all the energy that I had. We're sitting at, this, at the Madison Theater, which is essentially it's another bar. And one of the guys in the church comes up and he says, hey, um, there's this building I think that you would like. It's on the corner of Washington and Lark, which is the second busiest intersection in Albany. And I'm like, okay, cool. And so we go to this guy, we go to the landlord and we start, start talking to him and negotiating with him. And he wanted $7,800. And there was just no way like a group of 50, 60 people at the time had $7,800 a month for rent on top of renovations and everything else. And, and we went to, the, we went to the, the landlord and said, look, we can do $3,000 a month and we can do a slow increase to $4,000 a month. And he goes, all right, let me go talk to my partner about it. And so he goes back and talks to his partner and he comes back and he's like, look, we've had several other offers on the table. Many of them can pay a lot more than you, but we just don't feel right about it. We're going to go in and give this building to you for $3,000 a month. And I'm like, okay. And we moved into that building. And I kid you not, within six weeks, we literally grew by 100 plus people in six weeks. And I'm, I'm, I'm talking just people getting saved, people getting changed. Here's, here's my point. It gets better. It gets better. Because remember how I told you this guy came up to me and this girl came up to me and they had this prophetic word that you're going to have the, the ear of the mayor in the city of Albany? Well, the city came to us because they wanted to do a pop-up art show in Lark Street, which is where we were, and they didn't have a building big enough. 
And so they came to us and they're like, hey, we, we want to rent the space. I'm like, wait a second, hold on, what? And so we start talking to them. And so we gave, we gave them the space, but there was an issue. We hadn't, we hadn't officially moved in yet. The issue was um, we didn't have our proper permits, which is why they kicked us out of our former building. We didn't have our proper permits filed yet. And I go, well, look, Shauna, the lady, I was like, you're going to have to call the mayor's office. You're going to have to get this stuff taken care of because I'm not going to do this. Someone who worked for the city. And she goes, okay, just a second. Pulls out her cell phone. Hey, George, I need you to stop by 200 Washington Ave real quick. I just need a permit. Gets off the phone. George, 20 minutes later, walks in. And he's like, what do you need? Yeah, we need the permit so that this can be occupied because the mayor wants to use it for this pop-up art show and that type of stuff. I'm like, okay, I'm watching all this happen. And he literally, the building inspector, the very guy who gave us hell a few years ago, this is what he does. He goes into it and he goes, all right, how many you need? 150? All right, cool. You can pick up the certificate tomorrow. Walks out. Three days later, the mayor was in our building, in our church, and enjoying an event. And we've started a dialogue. And so the, the, the very same mayor who had issues with us is now coming to us. And this is what I feel like God has spoken over me. Is just like Peter, we try doing it in our own strength. Just like Peter, we try fighting, sometimes for the sake of the gospel, in our own strength. But sometimes we need to yield to what the Holy Spirit is saying and to what the Holy Spirit is doing. We need to yield to what He's saying and to what He's doing. And we need to let Him do the work. Put your sword away. Put your sword away. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what you're battling with. I don't know... I don't know anything about your life. But I know that you have a loving Savior who was murdered upon a tree so that you don't have to fight your addictions, so that you don't have to be oppressed by your desires, so that you don't have to try to fix your marriage out of your own strength. See, Jesus says in John chapter 16 and 17, He says, I'm sending an advocate for you and His name is the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit wants to live inside of you and breathe inside of you. And all we have to do is just accept the war of grace that has been bought and paid for and yield to Him. Put your sword away. Put your sword away. I'm going to pray and I'm going to turn it back over, I believe, to Brandon and the team. I just want to thank you guys for having me and thank Byron and Ashley. But as I pray, I want... I want to just challenge you, man. If, if you feel something going on in here right now, that's God wanting to do something in your life. And if you've never embraced the saving grace of Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you. They have a prayer team in the back and they want to pray with you and they want to invite you into making Jesus Lord of your life. It is the craziest thing, but it is the best thing you could ever do. The absolute best thing you could ever do. And I'm sure if you need prayer for anything else, addiction, struggles, depression, you just want to surrender something to God. And now's the opportunity. Now's the opportunity. Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at the gig. 
If you would like to know more, you can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us for one of our two services at 9.30 or 11.15 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are welcome too. We are Redemption, and we would love to meet you.